1914, President Woodrow Wilson did just that. He proclaimed Mother's Day a national holiday and a public expression of our love and reverence for all mothers. Today's commercialized celebration of candy and flowers and gift certificates and gifts and chocolate and flowers and chocolate and flowers and chocolate and flowers is a far cry from the uh, resolute reason that Hal wanted to commemorate Mother's Day. But there's nothing wrong with that. Please give your mother's chocolate and flowers and chocolate and flowers and take her out and don't make her work on Mother's Day. There's nothing wrong with that. But allow me to share some excerpts from the original proclamation Julia Ward Howe wrote in 1870, which explains in her own impassioned words the goals of the original holiday. She writes, Arise all women who have hearts, whether your baptism be that of water or of tears. Say firmly, we will not have great questions in our families answered and decided upon by irrelevant agencies. Our children shall not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy, and patience. And as men have often forsaken the plow and the anvil at the summons of war, let women now leave all that may be left at home for a great and earnest day of counsel. Let them solemnly take counsel with each other as the means whereby the great human family can live in peace, each learning after his own time the sacred impress, not of Caesar, but of God's. What a heart. But she felt the desire, she felt the purpose, she felt the call to empower women around the world to stand up. Stand up and fight for your families, for peace, for God. And today, the title of today's message is called Living Loved. And it's a proclamation of our position as children of God, not just of women, not just of mothers, but of children of God, both men and women. That we are approved and we are loved by God. And that should cause our hearts to be strengthened and emboldened, emboldened to be and do all that God has purposed for us. So turn with me in your Bibles to Zephaniah chapter 3. And see, I had to put this little marker right here because Zephaniah is a hard book to find. He's just a little bitty guy right before the New Testament. So I'm going to talk for a little bit, give you time to find that, or go to the table of contents. Or if you're on version, it's easy. You just click, top, book, Zephaniah. Opens right up to it. In Zephaniah chapter 3, and then also flip over in your Bible, put a finger, put a note, Put a piece of paper, your message cards. In Ephesians 2, we'll get to that at the end of the message. But living loved comes from a heart that has been strengthened in the knowledge that God loves me and is delighted in me. You know, your heart needs to be strengthened. 
Hebrews 13, 9 says, It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. It is good for your heart to be strengthened. You need your heart to be strengthened. It is good for your heart to be strengthened by grace. The definition of grace is the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. Unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. What is the favor of God? The best definition I could find for the word favor is demonstrated delight. Demonstrated delight. The favor of God can be described as tangible evidence that a person has the approval of the Lord. The favor. Let your heart be strengthened by the knowledge that you are approved, you are loved, that God delights in you. Not because of what you've done, not because of what you can do, simply because of who you are. You are his child. That knowledge of God's approval needs to strengthen your heart. Just like Julia and her proclamation of 1807, let it empower you. Let it propel you. Let it drive you. Let it strengthen you. Let me say it again. Living love comes from a heart that has been strengthened in the knowledge. And knowledge means you've simply learned something. To learn something. To know something. After today's message, I want you to know and your heart be strengthened in the knowledge that God loves you and is approved, has approved you and is delighted in you. Zephaniah chapter 3, starting with verse 7. I said to the city, God's saying this through this prophet, I said to the city, surely you will fear me and accept correction. In other words, if you fear me and accept correction, then her dwelling would, if you don't, surely you will fear me and accept, then her dwelling would not be cut off, nor all my punishments come upon her, but they were still eager to act corruptly in all they did. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day I will stand up to testify. I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out, on my, pour out my wrath on them. All my fierce anger, the whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. Have you ever been part of, I'll say it that way, an angry Jealously angry person, whether you were that jealous person or you were smitten, whether it's a spouse or not, I'm not going to ask, by a jealous person. It's overwhelming the amount that they think about you and want to know where you are and, you know, it can move into a very bad situation. But in a good way, God loves you so much. He says, I am a jealous God because I, I not only need like he's a needy God, but that he wants you. He says, I've got 
All you need, all you need is me. And he said, if you just give me your whole heart, and he jealously longs for your whole heart and your whole affection. But if we choose to turn away from him, his, he said, if you're eager to do good and run away from me, there's wrath waiting for you. He says, but if you do this, therefore, if you don't, I've got to do this. Then he says, but if you do, then will I purify the lips of the peoples that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the river's cush, my wor worshipers, my scattered people will bring me offerings on that day, you will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me, God says. Because I will remove from this city those who rejoice in their pride. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill. Listen to this. Verse 12. But I will leave within you the meek and humble who trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will speak no lies. Nor will deceit be found on their mouths. They will eat and lie down and no one will make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, you will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Look at the stuff that's just packed in these few scriptures. He said, if you fear me, if you fear God and accept his correction, and let me tell you, it's like a parent. It's, it's not a fear like, oh, I'm scared you're going to whip my butt. No, it's not that kind of fear. It's a fear like when you fall in love with somebody and you don't want to, you, you choose not to do things so you won't hurt their heart. That kind of a fear. A holy fear talks about I know all that you've given me you've given me the very breath breath in my lungs so I don't want to do anything that would hurt your heart that kind of fear I choose not to do this because I love God that kind of fear he's talking about accepting correction remember God is both father and mother he's got both father and mother heart so he's got the nurturing, I love you, I want to hug you, I want to kiss you, I'm a jealous God. I, you know, not only, and see, need just doesn't express. It's not just that he needs you to satisfy himself. You need him. And he knows the only way you're going to get what you need is in him. So he's jealous over you because the best thing for you is him. So he's saying both the father and the mother. And so he's saying, I want to nurture you. I have all that you need. But he's also saying, I'm going to spank your butt if you get out of line. I still love you. That's what he's talking about. I'm going to correct you. If you accept this correction, maybe you're going to have a good life. 
So he's saying if you fear God and accept correction, the only condition is to live like a child of God. Live like you're loved. Oh, no, I won't try, Craig. Sorry. No. Therefore, wait on God. He says he is a jealous God. He desires your full heart, love, dedication. Then he says a purifying will come from him. Not what you can do, but what he has for you. That purifying will come. You'll be calling on the name of the Lord. You'll serve shoulder to shoulder. Offerings will come in. No more shame for our sins against God. God will remove the pride in us, the haughtiness in us. The meek and the humble will rise up and prosper. Those who trust in God will do no wrong, no deceit in our speech. We'll eat and sleep in peace, free from all fear. Punishment taken away, enemies pushed back. God will be with us, no fear of any harm. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you by his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I mean, there has been no greater joy. And I'm sorry, I used to think older people was crazy when they'd say they love their grandkids more than their kids. So I'm like, it's not possible. Yeah, it is. It is. And there has been no greater delight than to have my granddaughter in my house 24-7 now since she's been born. And I'll tell you, the first time I was able to scoop her up, and she was born um, a preemie. She was born early, three weeks early, was it? I don't remember. Three weeks early. And I got to stay at the hospital. They had to keep her longer. And uh, I didn't... I didn't stay because I had to. I stayed because I wanted to. <laughs> stayed in the hospital a couple extra days with them. Because every time she made a noise, I wanted to scoop her up. And I would take her over in the corner. And I'd say, Gigi's got you, little girl. And I would start to sing over her. And that little scrunched up face would just start relaxing. And I'd whisper in her ear some more, Gigi's got you. Gigi's got you. And I'd start singing to her. And I would sing, Jesus loves you. This I know. And she would just simply just fall back to sleep. And Charlene told me a few days later after we got out of the hospital, she goes, you know, I heard you singing over in the corner. And it helped me sleep too. I said, oh, and God's heart just kind of like exploded in my heart. And he goes, that's what I do for you. I scoop you up in my arms and I sing over you. And I say, it's okay. Papa's got you. Papa's got you. He delights in you. He approves of you. We need to start living loved, living out of his love. Psalms 147.11 says the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Psalms 18.19 says he brought me out into a spacious place because he delighted in me. Living loved means living free from fear living from God's approval, and living life on purpose. So let me take just a few minutes and jump into those three things. Living loved means living without fear. In 1 Peter chapter 3, 
it starts explaining a little bit, giving directions to women how, you know, we need to be like, and he, he mentions Sarah. He uses Sarah as our example. And he says in verse 6, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. And I thought, if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, they were promised that they were going to be, he was going to be the father, of course that makes her the mother, of many nations, many nations. Well, when the Lord showed up there and said, by this time next year you will be with child when I see you, she laughed at him. Now she didn't laugh because she was 20 and gorgeous and wanted to give way to her beautiful body that we all know goes, anyway, it's because she was well into, let's just be nice to her and say 90s, okay? So if the Lord nowadays, and I know they lived longer back then, well, we won't get into that. It's probably the meat, right? Any? Yeah, it was a meat. Anyway, God promises us, let's just say 80, I know it, or 90. Let's say he promises us 80s or 90s. For God to come to you at 80 years old and say, you're going to have a child by this time next year, when she, because she laughed at God. When she laughed, I thought, oh. So when I think of Sarah, I think, oh, it's because of her unbelief. But the scripture mentioned, don't give way to fear. Sarah is like your mother. You are her daughters if you do what is right and don't give way to fear. And I thought, boy, I, don't, I didn't equate her with fear there. I, you know, I equated her with um, unbelief. But as I was thinking, if God was to come to me at 80 years old, 70 years old, and say, by this time next year, you're going to have a child. Now I'm going to start thinking about who's going to take care of that two-year-old because I'm not running around after him at this age. That's why grandmothers love their grandbabies more because they start being disobedient. We go, Mom, Dad, take care of this one. Right? We don't have to do that. But Sarah's thinking, who is, I'm going to, Walker? Chasing after the two-year-old? So then she's thinking, how am I going to do this? Where are we going to get that? What are we supposed to do? Right? She starts worrying, anxiety, stress, ulcers. No. Fear? Yeah. Her heart was filled with fear. But the verse is encouraging us, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Living without fear. 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love. When we're living love, living from God's love, we have no fear. Because perfect love. Do I know how I'm going to? No, but he does. Do I know where I'm going to get? No, but he does. So, but we back ourselves right up to God like this, and we stay living love, living from his love. No fear can come against us. I have to tell you, fear don't get me. I'm quite fearless, actually. More, I probably teeter on a little bit stupid at times because... You know, I remember when I first got my license on my motorcycle, went with a bunch of people and were like, blessing of the bikes, and took off, and 
new riders are supposed to ride close to the front of the pack. And so I'm like, whatever. Well, they were all very seasoned riders. Let's just say it that way. So we were going so fast, I didn't have time to look down at my speedometer. But I'm just with the pack. I just have to ride with them. I was loving with hitting the curves and and like the devil from the pits of hell came up and whispered in my ear, do you know how to turn that corner coming up? I'm like, oh yeah, it's not a steering wheel. And I mean, all this stuff just started, what? I know what, what I would, and slammed down the brakes anyway, I wiped out. They thought I was a rag doll. I mean, I just went, oh, yeah. And they say when you're on a motorcycle, your first accident will be because you forget how to take a curve. Isn't that stupid? I'm like, I know this. I went to classes and I've been riding for a while. A little while, but. I jumped back up because my biggest fear was that I was wearing my chaps, was that because I landed on my butt quite a bit, that it ripped my jeans and I was going to stand up and have, woohoo! You know, I'm like, oh, you ripped my jeans. So I jumped up and I'm like, okay, I'm covered. And they're like helping me pick up my bike and everything. They're like, we'll call somebody. I said, no, we won't. Let's make sure everything's on here. I'm getting back on it. And I jumped back on it and took off. Got to the blessing of the bikes and I'm like, I'm tough. I'm tough. I'm hurting. I'm hurting. I'm hurting. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, good. Anyway, fear is not my problem. Insecurity is the one I battle with just to be honest. And you think, no, you. I actually had a lady tell me one time, you're quite outspoken because you're covering up, you're masquerading your insecurity, aren't you? I said, oh, I didn't know that. But when I get in large crowds where I'm not doing anything, that's where it starts slipping into my heart. And the last three big events I was sitting at in churches I would actually go to the middle of the pew and set because I wanted people to set with me. I like people setting with me. I like people, especially the ones that smell good. So I moved to the middle of the pew and sat down all three places. No one sat with me in my pew. There are people in front of me crammed in there too, behind me, and I'm all alone. And the first one, I'm like, that's kind of weird. I text my husband on that one. I'm like, nobody's sitting with me. He's like, do you smell good? I'm like, yeah. I think I do. But the third one, the third time, and I actually, after worship, I'm sitting down and I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. The pews, as long as the sanctuary is, and nobody, and I'm sitting in the middle of it too. Because you know the ones like you, some of you are, that only sit toward the ends, you know. I sat in the middle, and I sat down, and I'm like, Lord, this is ridiculous. Why is it nobody wants to be with me? He goes, is it that nobody wants to be with you, or there's so many angels with you that there's no room to get next to you? And I went, oh, yeah. Yeah, I got angels all around. I'm good. And that's what we think. Perfect love casts out all fear. You see, you're not afraid when you know who you're with. See, I just wasn't looking. I was looking at the wrong thing. Perfect love understands you are never alone. Robin Williams, his famous quote now says, I used to think the worst thing in life is to end up all alone. It's not. 
the worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel all alone. That's sad. That man lived, besides a wealthy life, he was surrounded by people all the time. But he said he always felt alone. Perfect love understands that you are never alone. Living loved. Living without fear. Number two. I got to move fast. That was only one. Living from God. Oh, wait a minute. We have no time restraint on the second service, right? Hallelujah. <laughs> Living from God's approval. Living from approval, not for approval. Living from approval, not for approval. See, most of us struggle with the lie that we need to earn God's approval. If we could attain God's approval by our actions, then it's our works would be based on us and not on God. See, if you had to earn God's approval, it means whatever you did got you there, not God. I'm talking about living from God's approval. And again, this is not saying that we don't have to do anything. Talking about living like children of God, living loved as God's child. Same way with you raising your children. You love them. That does not change. But you reward them based on what they do. Right? Do you get a reward or you get a whipping? You get a reward or spanking. I'm sorry, not whipping. You can't say whipping. No, you can whip their butts. Anyway, that's what I'm talking about. It's not approval. You're not earning God's love. We're talking an approval that you live from, love that you live from. But it's also not saying that he's not asking you, there's things you must do. Right? That was the scripture in Zephaniah that we read. He said, if you just... Live in the fear of the Lord and accept correction. It's just trying to correct you. Hear that? Don't do this. Don't. Isn't that what we do to our children? You know? Why don't you get dessert tonight? Because you didn't do what I asked you to do. Right? Right? Does it change your love for them? No. Okay, so that's what he's saying. I got stuff for you to do and you can get this if you do this. And that his whole word is all laid out there where you do this. I'll do this. And I love it because God is so good. That's that mother-father heart of his that says, I'll even tell you what I'm going to give you. So then you can sit back and say, do I want that? I have to do this, but do I want that? Hmm. There is nothing in God's word where that reward isn't better than just not doing whatever he's asking you to do. That's why he lays it out there. Because have you ever, you ever saw that game show? I mean, back in, you know, when I was growing up, we always used to have game shows on TV. I don't know why, but anyway, there was that, choose the three doors. Behind door number, do you want what's behind door number one? I don't know, show me what's behind door number one. I'll tell you if I want it. Don't make me choose before knowing. God says, I'm going to show you what's behind door number one, two, and three. Here it is. Do you want to give me what you have in exchange for what's behind door number two? And here, this is what's behind door number two. Hello. I want a game show like that. You know? Wasn't they bringing dollars to that one? That was an old one, too. They was bringing dollars. They had to show their dollars. Do you want, do you want to keep what's in my hand? Or no, that speaker. 
Game show host used to come with a hundred, he'd pull out a hundred dollar bill. Do you want this hundred dollar bill or do you want what's behind door number two? They're like, ah, ah. and sometimes it was like a banana or something, you know, real stupid. You're like, yeah, thanks. Yeah, banana. But God, everything God gives you, ifs, conditions, but he shows you what it is. So I'm talking about reward, rewards, or spankings, we'll say it that way, conditions. Remember, God delights in you, approves of you, not because of what you do. He simply loves you because of who you are. You are his child. And then the third one, the first one was living without fear. Second one was living from God's approval. And this third one is living on purpose. We're talking about how to live loved. How to live loved. Living without fear. Living from God's approval. And living on purpose. It's so easy for us to fall into the trap of living a purposeless life. Usually due to the belief that we can't really make a difference. I get up, I eat, I work, I come home, I eat, I sleep. I get up, I eat, I go to work, I come home, I eat, I sleep. Purposeless life. When you're living loved, you realize there's a purpose for you breathing. And it's not to go to work so that you can or live so you can work. It's so you can go to work so you can live. And I'm not talking about just so you can get up and eat and sleep and work and go home and eat and sleep. Purpose. Making a difference. There's a story of a man who was found walking along the beach, tossing starfish back into the ocean. When confronted on the insignificant results he was accomplishing compared to the vast, significant size of the ocean, the man lifted another starfish from its deathbed upon the dry beach and stated, it makes a difference to this one. And he tossed it back in the ocean. You see, you might not be the one that changes nations but you may be the one that changes the diaper of the next Catherine Coleman. You may be the Sunday school teacher that raises up and teaches Jesus loves me to the next Billy Graham. You don't know what things God has purposed for you to do in advance, but you have to do them. There's things for you to do. You can make a difference. It's not to live a purposeless life. Look with me over in Ephesians 2. I showed you to go there earlier, as soon as I find it. Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 4. I love this scripture. Starts in verse 4 with, but. I love God's but. God's got a big butt. And like Nemo, he will challenge you to touch the butt. Touch. I touched the butt. When he starts a sentence with butt, go back and find out what he's talking about. If he starts the sentence with therefore, find out what the for was there for and go back. 
Okay? So he starts this sentence with but. So, but what? Right before that, he says, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. We were all doomed to hell, but, but, now it makes sense. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sin, in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that, so that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to who? To us. To us in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, you can't earn it, it's a gift, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, I love that, created in Christ Jesus, why? Remember I've been teaching you, when you read scripture, ask questions so that you understand the context of what's being declared here. We are God's workmanship created in Christ. Why? To do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to dream about, to think about, to ponder upon, to talk about. No, to do people. To do. He prepared works in advance for us to do. Living on purpose, understand there is something for you to do. And think about it. Do you ever raise your children in hopes that they will become uh, homeless on the streets? Oh, Jacob, I just wish that you become a vagabond. Wandering the earth with no money, doing nothing? No. So if you humans can think of good, purpose-filled, significant things for your children, how much more do you think God prepared in advance significant, purpose-filled things for you to accomplish? Do you want at your funeral... The eulogy to be read that, well, you breathed. Here lies, and well, she really didn't do anything. No, we all, inside us, we all desire, we all have that longing to be significant in a way where it's a purpose to our life. Not to, oh, look at me, but to just make a difference, right? But here's where the lie and the trap comes in. Satan will cause us, or we can, I mean, it could just be our own flesh. We fall, we trip, we mess up. And now all of a sudden we think we're disqualified and we step to the back and think, well, now I'm all done. Coach Dunn took me out of the game because I dropped the ball. So now we're sitting on the bench for the rest of our life. 
And the enemy was set right there with you, telling you, you bet, you messed up. God can't use you anymore. Look at what you did. There is not enough libraries in the world to hold the amount of mess-ups I've messed up. The error of my ways are all recorded, but then thank the Lord, he has a big eraser when I say, I'm sorry, God forgive me, and he erases it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, he erases it. But you cannot mess up so much that you are disqualified. And let me show you the biggest mess up in the Bible. As far as I believe is Peter. Peter, one of Jesus' own disciples, right? Remember that? He called him. He was a fisherman. He called him. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that he was going to be well, he warned Peter. He said, Peter, you know, tonight you're going to disown me three times before the rooster crows. And what did Peter say? Oh, never! I will die with you! And they all, all the other disciples said, yes, never! Lord, we will fight. It'll never happen. Just hours later, Hours later, Peter didn't even remember the first time he denied Jesus. Hours we're talking about. Not years later, hours later. The second time he denied Jesus, thought didn't cross his mind. But the third time he denied that he was even associated with Jesus before the words fell off his lips, he heard the rooster crow and it awakened in him a hellish shame like he had never felt before. If you ever messed up in such a way, it felt like all hell just dumped upon you. That shame, guilt. Like you couldn't even, like somebody just beat you down and there's no way you're ever going to get back up again. What was I thinking? What did I do? He warned me this was going to happen. Why didn't I catch it the first time, right? Boy, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And could you just imagine some of the things that was going through his mind? Jesus, who just warned him he was going to do this, was also the one that said, Peter, it's on you. I'll build my church. Those words echoing in his ears. How could you ever build your church on me? I denied you now. You warned me and I denied you three times. Three times. And he walks away. I messed up. Have you ever messed up to the point where you think it's the purpose that God had for me in life? I've disqualified myself. I went too far. I stayed away too long. I've done too much. Sure, I've asked for forgiveness, but because of my past, he can't use that. And then in John chapter, I think it's 21, the resurrected Jesus calls out to the ladies when they seen him. Hey, go tell my disciples. See, I told you I was coming back. 
Go tell my disciples, but tell Peter too. Tells him, yeah, tell everybody I'm here, but please don't forget, tell Peter. And then it was in John chapter 21 where you see Jesus on the beach, made a fire, preparing breakfast. And where did he find Peter? Yeah. You know, when Jesus first called him, he was a fisher, a fisherman. But he told Peter that you were a fisher, a fisherman, but now I'm going to make you a fisher of men. But see, when he had all that weight of that guilt, that shame on him for, for rejecting Jesus, for denying that he even knew him and, and heard the words that echoed in his mind, he ran back to the only thing he knew. I guess I'm disqualified. I'll just go back to working in the factory. I guess that's all I'm good for. He went back to fishing. But it's eye-opening. The scripture says that he caught nothing. See, God's got a bigger purpose in life for you than going to work and punching a time clock. But he can use whatever you're doing at that work to be fishers of men. When we find our purpose in God, he'll make us purpose-filled so that wherever you're at, whether you're standing at a cash register and you're the clerk at the gas station or you're the you know, groundsman mowing the lawn, wherever you're at, you can be purpose-filled. But if you let your mess up mess you up, and take you out of the game. Don't worry. Jesus is still by the fire. And at that fire. He started talking to Peter. Peter finds himself sitting right beside Jesus. At least in my picture he does. Not across the fire. He's sitting by Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says. Peter. Do you love me? And Peter says yes. You know I love you. He said then feed my lambs. He's like, okay, whatever that means. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And you know, all that fear, all that insecure, all that guilt, all that shame, you know, it's starting to well back up in him. Yes, Jesus. Yes. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Because, you know, in his mind, hello. Don't we have our own conversations in our minds? He's thinking any minute now he's going to tell me, then why did you leave me? Right? You can just hear it. I could hear it. When I read that story, I'm like, oh, he's going to get it. Second time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Jesus, you know I love you. Then tend to my flocks. He's like, hmm. Third time Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you agape love me? Do you love me beyond limit? Do you love me without restraint? Do you love me without condition? Do you agape love me? And Peter broke down and said, you know all things. 
You know how much I love you. You know how sorry I am for what I did. That I even ran back to fishing thinking that I was going to find my purpose in fishing. And Jesus reinstates his purpose again. And says, then feed my sheep. You have a purpose in life that is without repentance, the Bible says. God, don't, oh, you messed up. Boom, I'll give this to somebody else. Now you're just supposed to abide in life without purpose. No, your purpose remains in him. In him. And when we turn to Jesus and say, you know I love you, he'll say then, go do what I told you to do. I've got stuff for you to do. I prepared in advance for you to do. Go do it. If you love me, go do it. Purpose-filled life. This is the defining example of God's purpose for your life. It remains in Him. What you were created to be, what you were created to accomplish, the purpose, the plans that he prepared for you while you were being knit together in your mama's womb. He said, remains in me. You can't mess up enough. Keep getting up. Keep getting up. Keep crying out to God. Who call on his name will work shoulder to shoulder. Without fear, without harm. Delight in you, singing over you. Living love means to know what God is, that God is pleased with you, proves of you, is proud of you, even when you mess up. But don't let your mess up mess you up. So in closing, I'm looking around for Amy. Oh, there she is. I want you to just close your eyes. I want you, before we stand up, I want us to just Quietly think for a minute and ask God, God, what are you trying to show me through this message? What are you trying to teach me? Have you been living in fear or insecurity? Have you been living in the misunderstanding that you have to earn God's approval? Have you struggled with the feeling of insignificance? Like I can't make a difference. Or are you sitting like Peter was in the boat just fishing and thinking you messed up too much? It's all over. I'm disqualified. My prayer for you today is that you'll begin to live loved that your heart will become strengthened in the knowledge because of what you learned today that God loves you and he delights in you and he sings over you Peter do you love me then do do what I told you to do God, what are you speaking to us today? Mm. And if you feel like God's bringing something up, if the Holy Spirit's pointing something 
out in your life, whether it's fear, whether it's a mess up that you thought disqualified you, whatever it is, just ask Him, forgive me, God. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me that I, I thought that I had to earn your approval. Forgive me, God, that I've been living in the fear of man and I haven't done what I know you're calling me to do. Forgive me, God. Let me just ask, with everybody's heads bowed, no one looking around, if you're here today and you would like me to pray with you, either for one of those things I just mentioned, or maybe you want to begin a new relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, a purpose-filled life, and you want us to pray with you today, would you just raise your hand so just I can see it? Yeah. I see your hand. Just so I can see it. I just want to pray with you. Feel like I've messed up too much. Feel like I can't make a difference. I see your hand. I see your hand. Just slip it up and put it right back down again. Yep. We're here as brothers and sisters. We want to work together, pray together, shoulder to shoulder, fight together, and purpose-filled life together, doing what we're called to do. Father, you've seen the hands. You know the hearts. God, I pray right now that you begin to continue to fill their hearts, Lord, with your love. God, that we're able to love because you first loved us. So, God, I ask that you just pour your love, pour your love through them. Let them feel your love. Live your love. Live from your approval, free from all fear, because perfect love casts out all fear. And live on purpose for your glory, for your honor. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. While Amy sings this last song, could I just ask you all to stand up, not leave. Please don't leave. Let's just spend this last couple minutes. And if you need to spend time at the altar, there's prayer partners here for you. I'm going to turn the service over to Pastor Neil. Uh, miracles. Let me just, let me, I can't even begin to explain without taking way too much time right now. Miracle after miracle after miracle, we're hearing, seeing with our own eyes, with our own hands, God demonstrating his love through these testimonies of healing. And like I said, too many to mention right now. So don't leave here if you need prayer for anything. That's what we're here for, to pray with you, to love you, help you. So while Amy sings this last song, Pastor Neil is going to lead the altar for us.